Joey Farias went from playing professional tennis to practicing with a group of well-known pickleball professionals in Michigan. The group included Simone Jardine, Kareen Carr, DJ Howard, and Catherine Parento. Needless to say, Joey is also a pickleball professional. He joined me on the podcast for an in-depth discussion on how to volley in pickleball and how it differs from a tennis volley. So let's get to the intro to hear more from Joey. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, Joey Farias. How are you doing today, Joey? I'm doing good. It's a nice, hot summer day. No, not even quite summer yet, but it's getting hot here in Florida. Right, and here, here... Here I am in Connecticut, but at least we're into the 60s today. So uh, happy! I'm happy about that. <laughs> well, good. I wanted to bring you on the podcast because you've um, got, you know, you're a professional pickleball player. You teach, and uh, you know, you do a lot of different things in the sport. But as I start the podcast, I do like to ask about, you know, how you started playing pickleball, how you first heard heard about it, and you know, about how long ago that was. So I started playing pickleball, it's been about six years now. I just moved, I just moved to Michigan and was helping a junior tennis program in Lansing. And it happened, happened to get pretty lucky. We had an older resident there that was name was Dan O'Toole, who was, I think he was a silver medalist in the senior pro singles and wanted to get some singles practice before the next nationals in pickleball. I had no clue what it was, but he talked me out, out there to go try it. And it was close enough to tennis that I enjoyed the, the workout for singles. That lasted for like a month, two months of just singles practice with him. And then he finally asked me if I would come out and play doubles, that he had two other really good players that he wanted me to get to know and see if, you know, if I would like pickleball doubles. And it happened to be Simone Jardine and Corinne Carr. That were the other two players. They both uh, lived in Lansing at the time and both were members at the club I was at. And that was our first day playing pickleball doubles all together. And from there, we just kind of kept playing, made a little group and the group expanded and DJ Howard started playing in that group as he was another tennis pro there at the same club. And then after tennis, Simone had Catherine Parento. I was playing tennis for her at Michigan State. So she joined after she was done with college tennis. Um, yeah, we had a bunch of us out there that all started in that same little club. And now we're all pretty good at pickleball. I would say so. You know, I, I've actually interviewed DJ and Catherine have yet to talk to Simone and Corinne, but we'll look forward to doing that. I mean, you're, you're really talking about some of the biggest names in the sport that you had an opportunity. You know, you just all started out together, right? Yeah, exactly. Brand new, brand new to the game. And it was nice to have that kind of level starting out. So at the time, it sounds like you were doing both tennis and, and pickleball. And from what I understand, you, you were competing in tennis at a at a really high level, weren't you? Yes. So by that point, I was already done competing. I had already broken my back playing professional tennis. I think I was that was probably three years before that. So I had already been coaching college tennis for a little bit and then went on to help that junior program out there in Michigan. 
so yeah, finding pickleball definitely scratched my competitive itch, which was nice. And yeah, I got to start playing some more tournaments and eventually started playing even more. Wow. So, you know, that's something else you don't hear very often. Somebody say that they have a, or had a broken back, you know, what, what, if I can ask what caused that and, you know, how are you doing now? So it's been a lot better in the last like two or three years. When I was first starting pickleball, every once in a while, it kind of act up. It's, it started with just kind of natural wear and tear from years and years of tennis. Then I had a pretty good clash with the net post in tennis on the clay court that kind of aggravated it even more. Wow. So d- does that mean you were playing some doubles if you were that close to the net post or were you playing singles? I was playing singles. I was running down a drop shot. Ah, uh, Oh, yeah. And you see plenty of those nowadays in pickleball, too, don't you? Yeah. I guess exactly. it helps that the court's a little bit smaller, huh? Yeah, it helps that the court is small. I don't slide as much. I used to playing tennis, so that's that's where I've uh, kind of kept away from that. Right. So, you know, as you know, having that really strong tennis background, I know we see a lot of people in pickleball who, you know, have that similar background. What do you think really translated the most, you know, that you did in tennis to coming to pickleball? I mean, there are a few shots that are different, but a lot of it, I I think, translates. Yeah, the good thing with the way I played tennis was I was a servant volleyer for the most part. So I played a lot at net compared to some of the newer guys coming in that played a lot of tennis and probably played mainly at the baseline. So kind of that touch and the variety of shots, it just translated really well. And I was always trying new things in tennis with you know different spins and shots that I can try to create, which I do the same thing in pickleball. Been able to, and it's a little bit easier with pickleball because the paddle's so much lighter, the ball's lighter. Uh, it, it's pretty pretty fun to get innovative out there. And that actually brings up a good point. You know, if you think about it, you started you know playing pickleball 2016 ish, I guess 2015 maybe yep. six years ago. I mean have you changed what you're doing on the court now compared to when you came in just in terms of different shots you might hit or, you know, even different strategy? Absolutely. Yeah. When I first got in, I, the good thing is I was always, I was taught early, you know, with Dan O'Toole and and then that dinking was a big part of the game. And so I came in playing quite a bit softer than most tennis players and then slowly started adding my tennis background into it. And then from there, it was basically becoming a sponge. So like if I saw something, you know, fun, like some sort of fun shot that Simone hit or Corinne hit, then I would just copy it, especially if it seemed to bother me or work out winning points. I would, we would copy each other. And then from there, it slowly started growing and then traveling to play tournaments and seeing players like Kyle Yates and then, you know, some of the better players at that time when we were first starting that are, had already had a name in pickleball, Sarah Ansberry and, and stuff like that, starting to copy, you know, what, what they did on court whenever we would get to practice or even play them in tournaments. And yeah, just kind of kept adding to our repertoire of shots. Can you give me an example of one of the things that you copied perhaps early on in your pickleball career? Yeah, there was a player, Raphael Siebenschein, who lived in Grand Rapids, who would come down to Lansing quite a bit. And he had already had a couple of 
big showings at some national tournaments and stuff like that. And I had never seen somebody put so much topspin on balls in terms of like rolling volleys and stuff like that. I was still hitting tennis volleys, mainly slicing shots when we were first starting. And yeah, seeing the way he was able to kind of hit what looked like ping pong shots from the kitchen line, that's definitely been a big influence or was a big influence in my game early on. And then, yeah, now it's the, the same thing. I, I keep I kept up with that and just with technology and stuff like that can add even more spin than when I first started. Now, let's go ahead and dive a little bit deeper into that rolling volley. I mean, that's really more of an advanced shot. And how how do you hit that? I mean, I, th- I think if somebody hears that, you know, they, they want to hit that shot, what, what can they do to hit that shot and, and learn it? Got it. Yeah, the, I mean, the biggest focus for me on that shot is, especially at the kitchen line, is focusing more on hitting the ball up. When when, te- when I teach that and people ask about it, that's kind of one of the, you know, where I get some funny looks because I'm like, yeah, you just got to concentrate on the ball going up. So I kind of just feel like I have to brush the back of the ball and mainly brush my paddle upwards as I'm only six, probably six feet from the net when I'm making contact since my hand's reaching out. And the ball only has time to do, you know, one of two things that you're trying to make it do, whether it's go forward or go up. And since I'm putting spin, I know that the ball will go forward and drop as well on its own with the natural swing. So I think that's where players kind of go wrong when they're first starting it is they're trying to hit the ball too forward. They see the spot, the target that they want to hit forward and they go for that. So then the ball stays too low and doesn't cross the net, especially when they're taking the ball from a little bit below net level. So in thinking about that, if I've got somebody who does have a tennis background and I am used to hitting topspin, then how is that different from hitting that, you know, really that rolling volley? Yeah. So in in tennis, whenever we were teaching topspin, it was always about kind of hitting three or four balls. So extending your follow through, like you would hit three or four balls. That means you were pushing that racket forward in pickleball. You get your paddle and you're really just trying to hit that first one, make contact and then go straight up from there. Almost like a ping pong shot where you see ping pong players kind of almost hitting the ball. Like it looks like their arms going straight up when they're hitting that top spin shot on, on the side of them. It's very, very similar to that. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's a perfect example of I can kind of imagine that in my mind now that you've differentiated between the the tennis and the pickleball with the rolling volley. But keeping on the idea of volleying, you know, when you're near the kitchen line and are you generally trying to hit the ball before it bounces or are you kind of moving towards what what I think they do a little bit more frequently was they often back up off the kitchen line, let the ball bounce and then take it? What, What do you suggest there? What's the best way to hit it? So for me, it's all about what my options. So depending on where I'm going to make contact with that ball in the air and depending on how that shot came to me. So if it's kind of loopy, it's this like slower, I think it might bounce up a little bit off a third shot. I will tend to back off because I have more options. If I let it bounce, I can control the ball. Well, I can, I can hit different shots very similar with topspin and, and move the ball around. If the ball is coming a little quicker and diving, then I will try to take that out of the air. 
as I don't want it, you know, backing me off too much. And I can, I can still control the ball fairly well and probably better than if I were to back up and let the ball kind of speed up after the bounce at me. So for me, it's all about the options. Is it, do I have better options taking that ball out of the air and moving it around or is the ball slow enough that I can let that bounce and I have better options than taking it out of the air? We had been talking about like a, a rolling volley, kind of like a topspin volley, but are there other aspects of volleying that really differ between tennis and pickleball or does it, you know, translate fairly well between the two? I would say in tennis, a lot of, a lot of players that come from tennis to pickleball where they struggle with volleys is in tennis, we hit a lot more kind of underspin or slice volleys, especially when the ball gets low. We open that racket face up and we get under it and kind of hit a little bit of underspin on our volleys. And in pickleball, that underspin is going to make the ball float because we don't have strings to be able to put enough spin to keep it from really floating or controlling it. That that seems to be one of the bigger issues is I see players coming out there trying to hit tennis volleys. They hit these kind of underspin volleys, even if they're up around the shoulder and the ball just uh, doesn't get quite get the same velocity off of it as if they were going to try to hit it flat or with topspin to get the ball down. In terms of the game then, of pickleball, what other tips would you give give to players? You know, what's what's something that you think can really make a difference in their game? Right now, um, the way that the game is trending, so it's changing from when I first started. When I first started, it was all about kind of being patient, waiting for a pop-up ball or a little bit higher ball to attack. If you attack from too low, it was you were in a losing battle, you know, majority of the time i think now the way the game is going with kind of new technology new shots that people are creating in terms of get, being able to get topspin on volley topspin on even their uh, kind of ground strokes or shots from the kitchen that bounce attacking has become a big part of the game learning how to attack when to attack and being a little bit more offensive minded in terms of not being afraid to kind of pull the trigger especially if it's a, a comfortable shot uh, for you. And it seems to be like if you attack at the right time from a little bit lower, we are winning more points than we used to, you know, two, three years ago uh, because of the amount of spin and pace we can put on the ball and keep the ball in the court. So, yeah, learning how to attack, I think, is uh, is becoming a pretty, pretty big thing for new players trying to raise their game. And how do you determine when it is the right time to attack? So a, a lot of it comes from trying to be not so, I guess, to be a little bit uh, deceiving with shots. So there's when, when attacking, it all depends on how comfortable you are, you know, lifting that ball with spin or, you know, from a certain height. Everybody's going to have a different zone. So most pros can take a ball from pretty low and attack low and um, still hit specific targets on the other side, whether it be the person's right shoulder or right hip, left hip, um, stuff like that. For, you know, four fives, four O's, three fives, the ball has to be a little bit higher in order for them to attack. And the more they practice, the lower that starts getting in terms of they're able to attack from lower, you know, slots, like when the ball gets 
two feet under the net to three feet under the net for a lower level players, stuff like that. And just if you can make your shots all look the same, it makes it even better. So if, if your attacking shots look like you're dinking, that's that's whenever it's definitely more impactful on the other side. Right. And that that's such a great example. I mean, I know very few amateur players who can disguise their shots that well. So, yeah, you, you pros are pretty amazing in terms of doing that. Yeah, it's just about, I mean, a lot of it is just going out there when you're practicing and, and having that plan where you're trying, you know, to, to make every single shot you hit from that kitchen line look fairly similar and just be conscious of it whenever you do attack, you know, you kind of, and the point ends and you go back when you're walking back to return or serve and think about, okay, did I take my paddle back further than I would normally on a dink? Did I make it actually look the same? Did I keep hitting the same spots? Like a lot of players, when I we used to travel and coach all over, they had the tendency of always attacking only to one area. They wouldn't switch it up by, you know, sometimes going down the line, sometimes middle, sometimes cross court. They always seem to have their favorite area to go to and people start reading it right that that absolutely makes sense so you you mentioned you used to travel around the country i think quite a bit but now you're largely just teaching in florida is that right that is correct yeah i'm now the director of sports in riverland racket club here in port st Lucie, florida it's at a private community out here called valencia k and yeah so i'm mainly around here i still travel a little bit and do some clinics outside of here, but definitely not as much as I had in the past where I was full-time in an RV, traveling, doing clinics, camps, and playing tournaments. So are you playing pretty much full-time on the pro tour now, or have you kind of scaled back on that also? I'm, I'm still playing basically in the same amount of tournaments as I had in the past. And so how's your season going for you so far this year? Um, pretty good, actually. Um, it's been it's been good. I mean, it's just fun to see all these new players coming in and the game getting at a much higher level. So, with you know everything that happened last year and getting used to this job, practicing has been a little bit tough. And now, in the last like month and a half, I've been able to finally get some more staff out here with me and a little bit more free time to to start bat training and and playing more pickleball in order for me to you know keep my level where I want it to be to do better at these tournaments. Right. And even though this podcast is going to come out after the US Open, that's coming up in a, a just over a week, I guess. Yeah. I'll be on start this coming Sunday, the seventeenth will be our first event, pro singles and yeah, play the whole week. All right. Well, I will look forward to watching you here in the upcoming week and just wanted to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Before we go, I do always like to ask the pros, which pickleball paddle do you use and why? So I have a signature paddle with my company Gearbox. So it's the GX6 8.5 Power. Basically, when... I was talking to Raphael, who is the owner of Gearbox. We were trying to figure out, you know, what kind of paddle that I wanted. With my background coming from tennis, I wanted a little bit of a longer handle. That way the sweet spot was further from my hand, like it used to be in tennis. And but I still wanted, I didn't want to go too elongated. 
because I still wanted plenty of paddle surface because a lot of my game involves defense, blocking, stuff like that. So I still wanted enough width on my paddle. With it being all carbon fiber, I wanted it to be pretty stiff with some power. I, I enjoy, you know, smaller swings and still being able to generate plenty of pop on the ball. And yeah, that has definitely helped my game when I first started using that paddle. And yeah, I've been using it now for a little over two years. Well, congratulations on the uh, signature paddle. I think it's always great when players are able to get that accomplished. Uh, very fortunate to beat Gearbox's first pro that they sponsored. And uh, that company has been like a family for the last four years. And yeah, we've been doing a lot with uh, different paddles and it's fun working with Rafael as he's just this crazy engineer that can come up with some of the weirdest paddles that you can think of. And I'm excited to see the new lines that come out later this year. It'll be, it'll be fun to see people's reactions. I bet. I actually knew about Gearbox from years and years ago because they manufacture racquetball rackets, which I played for, for many, many years. And it was Gearbox was always a great product. I remember when they came on the, came on the scene, they were new kids on the block, but they grew really fast, I think, because of that engineering, like you mentioned. Yeah, it's a goal. She's going to start pushing uh, the limits on what paddles can do. All right. So in order to finish up here, then tell me if somebody wants to reach out to you, where is the best place to get in contact? The best place to get in contact is either on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Those are the two best, best places. Uh, to reach out and it's cool on both of them. Yeah, that's that'll be. I try to answer as much of the messages that I get, or as many of them. Yeah, it's been it's been nice to hear from a lot of players. You know, either playing tournaments, asking for tips, or you know, using a gearbox paddle, and or just players that I used to train and help with camps, and you know, them letting me know how it's helped them at different events or different. Uh, different things. Perfect. So I will go ahead then. And thank you once again for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. And like I said, I'll look forward to watching you at the US Open, even though people won't hear this podcast till after it. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.